let's ask the Lord to bless us all here this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. We ask you to touch our lives and hearts here today as we come before the throne of grace. Bless your word to our hearts, Lord. Bless every person here this morning. We thank you for your many blessings and your goodness to us in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them they look nice this morning. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. God bless you. We are uh, teaching on the subject. We're in, this is our second lesson. Uh, this is our new uh, series that we're into since the first of the year. Uh, the truth factor, and especially the truth factor in the gospel. And uh, the reason that I'm going to go in this direction and teaching it is because that <clears throat> Uh, in the apostle, with the apostles, they began to present truth, and then there was a falling away. Last uh, week, we taught uh, and told you that there would be four parts of this series, and one of the parts is that there would be the falling away. We talked about that somewhat, that there was a, there was a, a statement, there were statements made by Jesus and by Paul and by Jude and by John in their writings that there would come a time in which there would be a falling away from the apostles' doctrine, okay? And that did happen, that did happen. And we'll be talking about that as we go into this, some very important things, what happened, how it happened, when it happened, and, uh, and even some of the restorations of some of the truths that were lost that were, that were picked up again in later years. But we'll be talking about that, and this is a lot to do with uh, church history and especially the early part of church history. Uh, what I want to talk to you here today is a continuation of what we got into last week, and that is the apostles' doctrine, because the Bible says that the early church, they remained or they stayed in the apostles' doctrine, uh, in, the, in the prayer and in fasting and in eating together, and also keeping fast to the word and to the things that they taught. And so <clears throat> I want to uh, continue on in this, show you what the apostles' doctrine is, excuse me, <clears throat> what the apostles' doctrine is. And I know with some of you, this may be old hat, but stay with me on it because I think we'll have some things that will be enlightening uh, to any of us. So I want you to turn with, you, uh, with, you, with us, if you will, to the second chapter of the book of Acts. I'm gonna start here because when the church was established in the second chapter of the book of Acts, uh, the first thing that happened was that there was a move of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was poured out. People were very moved by that. The, Jew, the Jews who were there were just blown away by seeing all the things that were happening. And so Peter stood up with the 11, the Bible says, speaks about him standing up with the 11, and began to preach unto them. And as he was preaching to them, and when he had, they had heard what he had had to say, they said, what shall we do? What shall we do? And I mentioned last week that in walking with God, there's the do factor. What do we do? Uh, faith is the direction by which we do what we do. But faith always has an action with that. Uh, I studied faith extensively uh, 
one time years ago, and I found in the Bible that faith always had an action with it. By faith, they walked around the walls of Jericho, you know, seven days, and the seventh day the walls fell. By faith. By faith, they left Egypt. By faith, uh, you know, Abraham sojourned in a new land. By faith, Moses forsook the land of Egypt. By faith, by faith, by faith. The whole 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews talks about <clears throat> the faith, praise the Lord, that was with uh, those people and that it always involved them and took an action. So with our faith, we obey the gospel. By faith, we repent. By faith, we are baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, our sins that is taken away. So these are all acts of faith, acts of faith. They're not works. Works is like, you know, uh, helping the poor or, you know, like we build in orphanages and for the children in other countries and, uh, and missionaries and different things that we may do along the way and our neighborhood and our people in our own city that we help. Uh, we feed what, like something like 800 families a, a week. We, this church feeds them. We have a program for that. That's works. That's all good. But faith, praise the Lord, is, an, is a something that we say we believe in the Lord and therefore we act upon his word. Praise God. So what I want to show you here this morning is some of the, the uh, acts of faith that were presented to them. So when these people ask Peter, on the day of the Pente on the day of Pentecost, men and brethren, what shall we do? <clears throat> Peter says here in Acts chapter two and verse thirty-eight. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now notice here, and I'm going to emphasize the word baptism because he says, Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to move quickly through this because I want to show you how much this was established. In the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, Philip went down to Samaria, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And while he was down there, many miracles and things happened. And then verse 14 says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, and here's what, what they had to say when they came, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Notice here that after they had received the word of God, it was very important that they also receive the Holy Ghost. And it goes on to say here, for, verse 16, for as yet he, the Holy Ghost, was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here is again, Baptism in the name of Jesus mentioned here in chapter 8 and uh, in, in the 16th verse here in uh, Acts in the 10th chapter. In my Bible, if you just flip the page, uh, in the 10th chapter, the Cornelius uh, sent for Peter to come tell him what he had to do. And uh, I'm sorry, on the wrong page, two pages here. And so Peter came to Cornelius' house, that was in Caesarea, and began to preach unto them. And while he was preaching to them, they all received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And uh, when they had all gotten through speaking in tongues and rejoicing and praising the Lord and worshiping God and everything quietened out, the Bible says the, the last verse in chapter 10, 
And he, Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. I'm showing you here that the early church baptized in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, emphatically. And uh, so it, it, it follows through in those things. Uh, the same thing was with uh, in the 19th chapter. This is Paul now. This is not Peter or, or it's not John, one of the other apostles. Uh, this is Paul himself. And this is the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, it says here that uh, he came to some people that was in Ephesus. And uh, he asked them a question. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now notice here it was important to Paul, to Paul that they received the Holy Ghost after they believed. I'm saying that because there's a trend today that all you have to do is just believe. It's like a head thing. If, if it's up here, that's all you need. If you believe, that's it. It's all over with. But everywhere in the Bible with those apostles, no, no, no. That was only the beginning of it. You understand what I'm saying here? So uh, this is what Paul experienced. He says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said to him, we have not so much heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said to them, and then how were you baptized? They said to him, John's baptism. That's John the Baptist who baptized unto repentance. Now, then Paul went on to say here, then said Paul, John verily baptized with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. Okay, so believing uh, in the Lord and in God is one thing, but to believe in Jesus Christ, you have to obey the gospel and do what the Lord, you know, had to say and so forth. So it says here that verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the being baptized in Jesus' name was completing that faith. Praise the Lord. That was that believing. In other words, I believe, therefore I'm baptized. You believe and you're baptized. It's like Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Some people come along and say, he that believeth and is not baptized shall be saved. You know, <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. Everybody with me? I don't want to muddy the waters here. But I'm showing you this is the apostles' doctrine. Praise God and thank God for it. So what I've given you here is about four scriptures on them being baptized in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Wherever the apostles went, they baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, that throws a little, little quirk in the, in the works here. Because in Matthew 28, 19, if, uh, if you'll put that on our overhead for us for just a minute, Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus gave what was called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not only Matthew 28, 19, but it's also Mark 16, 16 through 18. And it's also found in Luke as well. But this is the one that's quoted most of the time, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So somebody says, okay, this is how we baptize. We baptize like this. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes back there, they baptize you three times. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and then the Holy Ghost, like this, okay? And so this is what Matthew 28, 19 says. Now, I, I've had people, when I was a young guy, I used to go to these all-night scenes when I was a teenager, and I'd run across other teenagers and friends of ours, but they'd, we'd have different views on things. So we'd, sometimes we'd stand out in the lobby and we'd discuss Scripture. Sometimes it was more uh, sort of debating Scripture than it was discussing Scripture. 
But then we'd talk about it. And so this is a story they would always use with me. They would say, had you rather, I'd rather believe Peter. I mean, I'd rather believe Jesus because this is in red in your Bible, though it's written by Matthew. It's the words of, of Jesus. I'd rather believe the words of Jesus than the words of Peter. And I would say to them, oh, okay. So you're saying to me then that there's two baptisms, right? Two baptisms. And then that would take me, then I would take them then to uh, Ephesians 4, 5, where it says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So the Bible only gives us one baptism. It doesn't give us two, and we have a choice. One's by Peter, one's by Christ. I'm not on that, but Jesus said, you shall believe on them, you shall believe on me through their word. That's how we are saved, through the words of the apostles. They wrote the book. Praise the Lord. So everything comes through the apostles' teachings. So anyhow, they would, they would use that, thank you, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then uh, going back to Matthew 20, 19, uh, it would say then that, uh, go you know, we're baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And that can be a little perplexing. Are there two baptisms? Does Jesus give one and Peter stood up and said, gave the other one? Not only that, when, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and said, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, he stood up with the 11. That means Matthew, one of the 12 apostles, was with him. And he stood there too. And they all stood together, meaning we support everything Peter is saying. And Peter, if that had been wrong, uh, Matthew said, oh, wait a minute, Peter, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got that part wrong. I remember Jesus said so and so and so and so and so and so. Now, let me give you a simple explanation. And believe it or not, when I was first saved, I wrestled with this. I wrestled with it. I prayed. I said, God, help me to understand it. I, I know there's not two baptisms in the Bible. I know the apostles did not disobey Jesus. If they had disobeyed Jesus, then they could have never done the miracles and all the power of God and the manifestation of the Spirit of the Lord and people getting saved by the thousands. That could have never happened had they disobeyed the Lord in the word. And if, the, if baptism is so important, and the Bible teaches us that it is, if it's so important, then it has to be right. So when you go to Matthew 28, 19, if you'll go back to that verse, folks, for me, uh, Matthew 28, 19, this is what I finally discovered, and I remember reading, and I can remember the day that I read that verse, because this is the verse that I received my calling to preach the gospel through. Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. I was fasting and praying. I was out in the woods and under some trees and, and so forth. And, uh, and, and, and I read that verse, and the Lord spoke to my heart and says, this is for you. And, uh, and I knew that. And then he confirmed it with other things that happened shortly after. So that verse was very special to me. But I never could, re I never could figure it out. It says, in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. And I knew all these people were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. And then I was reading it one day, and I realized that there is no contradiction in the Scripture. Peter did not disobey the word of the Lord. It all fell in place. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. And Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost means Holy Spirit. That's really not a name either. That's just a title of the Spirit of God or words that we use to describe the Spirit of God. But there's a name involved. Notice here it does not say names. There's no S there. It just says name. 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so I said, there's one name, and whatever that name is, he is the name of the Father. And suddenly, I realized that the reason that this is obscure is because it identifies who Jesus is. That once you realize that the name of Jesus is the name of the Father and is the name of the Son and is the name of the Holy Ghost, then everything about Jesus is that he's almighty God. And there is one God, praise the Lord. And there is not any trinity or there's no three. And some men have come up against that. And they say, no, I can't forsake the Holy Trinity belief. And so they back off and they don't go any further. So this is where that truth has to always prevail in our hearts, no matter what the circumstances and the situation. And it's all found in the scriptures. Jesus says, search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life, for they are they which testify of me. And so here it is. And suddenly... People, you know, I'd been baptized in Jesus' name, but I didn't quite understand the difference here. And uh, suddenly I understood. I said, okay, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That baptism in the name of Jesus. No one of the early church all ba always baptized in Jesus' name. And besides, you go to the book of Acts to find out how the apostles' doctrine was administered, how it was carried out, how it was taken, how it was manifested, what they did, and so forth. So baptism in the name of Jesus is the one and only water baptism. And Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, to have your sins remitted, taken away. Praise the Lord. There's one place where Ananias told Paul, he said, rise, Paul, and be baptized, washing away your sins. You know, well, it's not the water that washes away your sins. It's the application of the blood of Jesus that that was shed on Calvary, the application of that blood that was shed on Calvary, that blood is applied and washes away your sins. That's found in Revelation chapter 1. And it says, you know, our, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. So to have that application of the blood of Jesus, take away our sins, wash away our sins, folks, there's nothing in the world any greater than to know that sin has been lifted from your life I still remember the, the, the night I was baptized in Jesus' name in a bio in salt water. I was, they tell me I was salted down, you know, <laughs> by fresh water. It doesn't matter what kind of water you're baptized in. Praise the Lord. Just get baptized. Praise the Lord. But get baptized in water. I was baptized in salt water. Praise God. And I never will forget the feeling I had when I came up out of that water. And all of a sudden, it felt like a load had been lifted. And I was only 16 years old. I was just a teenager. I wasn't, I wasn't in the heavy stuff out here in the world and stuff. But sin is sin, you know, and it's there. And I never will forget how wonderful I felt to have all those sins taken away because the sins are remitted. It's all taken away when we're baptized in the precious and wonderful in the name of Jesus. The Bible says do all things in the name of Jesus, all things. So we ought to do all things, and then we'll be baptized in the name of Jesus as well. Praise God. So uh, what a wonderful thing it is to know that we're to be baptized. Let me point out another thing here that was involved in the apostles' doctrine. Still old hat. Everybody stay with me on this. If you'll go back to Acts chapter 2, and this is another thing that happened. They received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, the Bible uses the term Holy Ghost. We call it today in modern time Holy Spirit. 
spirit and ghost are the same word. Uh, I know ghost is more today acquainted with some kind of a spook or something like that. But uh, the word ghost is the old English word for spirit. And, of course, the Bible was, you know, translated about 400 years ago from the, from the Latin and the Greek and so forth out of the original out of the Hebrew in, into the English language for us. And uh, the king's 70 of his good best scholars that he had in these languages is the ones that translated. That's why you can trust it. You can trust it. There's no, uh, let me add this too for what it's worth. There's no uh, copyright attached to the King James Version incidentally. Nobody gets royalties off of it. Now, people can have helps and things like that, certain columns and, and certain type, of like a Scopiel or Thompson Chain or something like that. And that company maybe gets royalties off of their Bibles in that sense of the word. But as far as printing the Bible, anybody can, can crank up a printing press and run off the King James Version and print all you want to print. And there's no royalties or no, uh, no copyright hooked to it whatsoever because it was made for the English-speaking people. So the word ghost is that old English word for the word spirit. Here's what it says in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says here, it says here, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. How important is this? One accord, one place. Folks, when you go to church, be in church. When you go to church, be in church. I had, a, had an evangelist come preach for me one time, a young guy. And when he came, he was on the phone most of the time talking to where he just came from. And then after a couple of days, he was talking to the place where he was going, whoever it was, people, friends, or just talking. He's always on the phone talking. And I told him, I said, let me just say something to you, you know, if I can. Be where you are. You know, I'd like for him to be here with us, you know, with me. <laughs> I mean, he's the evangelist. I want him to be concerned about here, you know, us, so forth. Be where you are. Well, that can be when we all come to church as well. You know, somebody sitting back there doing like this. You know. Well, praise the Lord. Be here. Amen. You know, check book. <laughs> you know, if they don't balance, if they don't balance, you know. I'm scratching my head like this. Anyhow, when you come to church, be in church. Praise the Lord. And be here. And when it comes time to worship, worship God because this is one of the few times of the week that we can just worship God. And one of the few places that you can shout hallelujah and praise the Lord and glory be to God as loud as you want to. And everybody is with you. Praise the Lord. Nobody's going to turn their head and say, what's wrong with him? You know. Now, <laughs> let's, let's look at the scriptures here. They were in one place, one accord. 2-1, verse 2, 2-2. Two, two. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. They had already been praying for about 10 days here. Fill the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice here the word all. Everybody in that room, 120 altogether, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. For anybody who thinks that Mary you know, was so divine that she was a cut above everybody else and everything else. She was because in the sense that God chose her to be the mother of Jesus Christ by the conception, uh, you know, being conceived with the Holy Ghost, so forth. Outside of that, Mary was a sinner like us all. 
and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and she was baptized in Jesus' name as well. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And suddenly now these people were all speaking in tongues, and they, when they spoke with tongues, they spoke in different languages, altogether 16 different languages of nationalities and countries around them, of nations and countries that they did not even know. They had never been in probably before. They were Galileans, most of them, uh, in Judea. And they did not even know, you know the language, but they were speaking in the language. And people who had gathered there were from these different countries. And they heard them speaking in their language, and they said, how is it that these people who are Galileans are speaking our language? They're speaking to us. And what they were doing, they were speaking in that heavenly language or that unction of the Holy Ghost that God gives and a person speaks in a different language. And it's an amazing thing when that happens. And I've seen it happen, you've seen it happen, and I've given you some examples on it and so forth. But it's what we call speaking in other tongues. It comes from the Greek word glossolalia. Glossolalia means speaking in other tongues. Tongues is glossia. Glossia is just simply the word tongue. And it means language. It means language. So they were speaking in different languages. Praise God. And, uh, and so this is what prompted Peter then. They said, men and brother, what should we do? All this is happening. This has got to be from God. And so Peter stood up then and preached to, to, to them the word of God. But they were all speaking in tongues as they had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, look over in chapter 10. Let me re refresh you on this one. This is where Peter went to the household of Cornelius. And, uh, and he took some men with him. He took six Jewish men with him. Look at this closely. Six Jewish men. And uh, in the 10th chapter, Peter went there and began to preach to these Gentiles. They were Italians. And uh, he began to preach to them in, at Caesarea. This, and I pick it up here on verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, Peter was still preaching. And these Gentile Italian people that had gathered together who were relatives and, and uh, families of family members of Cornelius. They were gathered together there. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. That's these Gentiles now. And they of the circumcision, this is the Jews who came with Peter, the six of them. There were six of them who came with Peter, which believed were astonished. Oh, my God. They came there because the Lord had told Peter, Peter, go with these men. They have come and asked you to come and tell them what they've got to do. You say, now go with them. And so these other six men said, you're going to go here and preach to the Gentiles? Yeah, because God's told me to do that, Peter said. Okay, well, well, we'll tag along, you know. So they tagged along, these six men. And they're all Christians. They're all saved. They've been baptized in Jesus' name, been filled with the Holy Ghost in chapter 2. And so here they are now. They go along. And so they of the circumcision, that is the Jews, which believed, were astonished. Oh, my Lord. These are Gentiles. Gentiles aren't supposed to be saved. This is all, this is for the, this, this is for Abraham's seed. They're not Abraham's seed. They, they, they were just sort of slow coming around to that. And so it said they were astonished as many as were Peter because that on the Gentiles also <clears throat> was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. They knew they had the Holy Ghost. Here's why. Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues. And tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. And so, and magnify God, then answered Peter, 
can any man forbid water that he should be baptized as well as we? And then it goes on to say he commanded them to get baptized in the name of the Lord. But I'm pointing out simply to you, excuse me, <coughs> that these people were speaking in tongues, and that's how the others knew that they had received the Holy Ghost. Now, in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, they went back to Jerusalem and told the Jerusalem church what had happened, Peter and these other six men. Peter was a voice person, and the others, you know, stood there and said, yes, he's right. Everything he's saying is true. But we were there. We're witnesses to it. And so he went back, and he told the Jerusalem church all the things that had happened and everything. And uh, the Jerusalem church listened to it, and they said, oh, my Lord. I guess the Lord then is opening the door to the Gentiles to be saved. And then it says here, verse 17, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, the same thing, the same gift, and the same experience, and the same evidence of the gift. Who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? What was I, this is Peter talking to them, saying, or what was I that I could stand, I could withstand God? Peter's telling this Jerusalem conference that. When they heard these things, they said they held their peace, glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And so that's the Gentiles then were brought into the picture, and it was, it was understood that they were to receive the gospel. Later, Paul would say, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. That's why God used him mightily. That's why that much of the writings that we read about is from Paul, because we are, most of us are Gentiles. We're saved by the grace of God. So I'm pointing all these things out to you here so that you understand. The same thing happened in that 19th chapter. Now, this is Paul. Paul was, a, was, the, he was the caboose of the 12 apostles. He was the last. When Judas's carrot fell away from God, God replaced him with Paul. I know the apostles sort of, they rolled the dice and picked Matthias, but Matthias was their pick, not God's pick. <laughs> so that, they say that's what it's worth. That's the gospel according to Myers. But anyway, but Paul, was, Paul said, if I'm, not a, if I'm not an apostle, anybody else I am to you. So some of the people would say, oh, Paul's not one of the 12. Others would say, oh, yes, he is too. Because he has all the signs and all the workings of the apostles. Well, Paul, praise the Lord, when he went to Ephesus and he found those disciples, and everything the Bible says here that after he they were there uh, and uh, he said have you believed since they believed and verse 5 says they were baptized in Jesus name verse 6 says then Paul I'm look, looking at 19 6 here of Acts when Paul had laid his hands on them the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied so what I'm trying to show you here and point out to you here is that when the Holy Ghost praise the Lord uh, begin to move and be poured out, uh, people would receive the Holy Ghost and they would speak in other tongues. Okay. Uh, Paul received the Holy Ghost. 19, the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. I won't read the scripture, I'll just tell you. The ninth chapter of the book of Acts, he's ride, he was riding a horse or walking, we don't know which way, but he was struck down by the Lord. He was blinded for three days. He went into to Damascus where he was going and uh, the Lord spoke to a man, an old prophet there by the name of Ananias, said, Ananias, go to such and such a house, and you'll find the, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus there. And he said, yes, Lord, I know about him. I've heard about him. He's a bad dude. You know, he's trying to lock, us, lock up all of us Christians. He said, no, no. He said, he's a chosen vessel of mine. You do exactly what I say. You go there, and you pray for him. They receive his sight. 
and pray for him that he might receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that he went there, he prayed for Paul, and Paul, Saul then became Paul, uh, that he received his sight, his eyes were opened again, he was blind for three days, he said he saw Jesus brighter than the noonday sun, he said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom thou kickest, why kickest thou against the pricks? And so here, here now Paul was being prayed for by Ananias. Ananias, praise the Lord, prayed for him. And the Bible says that Paul, Paul received the gift of the Holy Ghost. It says nothing about tongues, nothing about it. It doesn't say Paul spoke with tongues. It said he received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Did he speak with tongues? Well, when you go to the 14th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, 14th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul states, I think it's the 18th verse, 14, 18, see if I'm right, I'm not sure. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Anyhow, he says here, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Praise the Lord. Paul said that. I thank, thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul definitely had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not only that, but he would not be saying to those people, you know, uh, have you received the Holy, Ghost since, the Holy Ghost since you believed and then laid hands on and prayed for them and they received the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. I'm trying to tell you here, this is a very important thing. The speaking in tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. It is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. And uh, God wants us to have it. It's his blessings. It's his goodness to us. God will always be with us and he'll always keep his hand on us. Let me go a little bit further about the thing about tongues. Tongues was prophesied, and I mentioned this last week to you. But over in Isaiah, look in Isaiah uh, 28, 11 with me, if you would, 28, 11. This was a prophecy of tongues from the Old Testament. It says, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Verse 12, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith the weary shirt rest that you may cause the weary to rest. This is the refreshing, that they would not hear. One guy told me one time, he said, this was not speaking about the gifts of the Holy Ghost that you're trying to say that it's speaking of. It's speaking about the Babylonians coming, capturing Israel, and that they would speak in a different language. And the Lord was saying, they're going to come back over here and they're going to, they're going to be speaking a different language to, with you. This is a prophecy about them. And I said, oh, okay. I said, in verse 20, 12 says, and they would say to them, to whom he said, this is the rest, wherewith the weary shall rest. I said, you mean the captivity of the Babylonian captivity was a rest to, the, to Israel? You and I know better than that, you know. So this is a prophecy of speaking in other tongues here. Remember, they, not only that, but also in, uh, in, in uh, Mark uh, 16, 18, if you look in that verse of scripture with us, 16, 18, if we go there, yep. Uh, they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall, shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Go back one verse. I think it's 17th verse. I'm writing on it somewhere. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall speak with new tongues. Praise the Lord. And so this, this is Jesus saying, when the Holy Ghost comes, these people are going to have, the church is going to have power. And he's telling the disciples there, these signs shall follow them that believe. If you're a believer, then this sign shall follow you. Had a guy one time said to me, he said, Myers, he said, uh, it says that it'll follow, it says these signs shall follow them. It didn't say him, it says them. <clears throat> that means that out of a group of people, you know, somebody may speak in tongues. But they didn't all speak in tongues. That's what he's telling me. 
<coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and so he's saying that this is not for everybody speaking in tongues. I said, okay, I disagree with you, but I want to ask you this question based on what you just said. How many people in your church speak in tongues? He said, I, I got things to do. I'm busy. I got to work. I got to do this. I said, no, no. He said, they told me not to talk to you. That's what the guy told me. He said, they were, I was, this is, we were young people. They told me not to talk to you. He said, I said, why? I said, come on, come on, why? I said, I'm, I'm trying to make sense with you. I said, this is referring to people that believe, you know. That's why Paul in the 19th chapter says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Folks, I'm just telling you, this is part of God's plan is that we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost because this is where the rest comes. The rest. God knows we need rest in the soul. I mean, the world is its like, they, the world is in like a turmoil. And people need rest for the soul. And the only thing that can give us real peace and rest is the baptism of his spirit. And the Bible is telling us here, just in this, like Isaiah I'm reading here, for with stammering lips and other tongue, will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest, wherewith the weary shall rest, and this is the refreshing. <clears throat> and this verse, of course, was fulfilled over also in the First Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it is. <clears throat> I won't go any further with it, but only to say that God wants us to have the rest, praise the Lord. And if we believe in the Lord, we believe in Jesus, and the Holy Ghost is for us, we need to have that because that will give us a rest and a peace in the soul like nothing else can give you. I'm, I'm just telling you, there's nothing that can give you the peace, the rest, and the assurance in the soul like the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I know that sometimes people come to the altar, they pray and they repent and get baptized and they said, okay, I feel better, and we go on. But don't come short of receiving everything God has for you. Praise the Lord. There is that rest for the soul. It's, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful thing, and God wants us to have it. Jesus said, come unto, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that rest is through his spirit. It is his spirit. The Holy Spirit is his spirit. Praise the Lord. And don't, don't we want the spirit of the Lord? Somebody said to me one time, do I have to have the Holy Ghost? I said, you mean it's like it's a bad medicine or something? You got to take my medicine? You know, it's like it don't taste good. You know, but no, no, no. It's a wonderful thing to have the Spirit of God. That's why in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In other words, and this promise is given unto you and to your children, to them that are far off. It's a promise that's given unto us. Praise the Lord. I know I'm talking to you here about things that's very basic with us. But I want you to understand it's very important for us to really understand this, how important it is for us to repent of our sins and to be baptized in Jesus' name and have our sins washed away and then to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. The uh, Bible talks about he that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. But So we've got to have it in us. And that's the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ. Christ said, I am now with you, but I shall be in you. By his spirit, he's going to be in us. Praise the Lord. And so the spirit of the Lord is so very important that we have. And the evidence of, of it, of course, is speaking in tongues. And there's some that says, 
you know, you're not supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to speak in tongues. I, there's a church here in this county. I won't identify who they are. It was a little small church. But they have it in their bylaws. I don't know if they still do. I know they did for years. They had it in their bylaws. Anybody speaks in tongues in their church, that's, it's put out. They're put out. They're disfellowshipped. <laughs> you can't speak in tongues. And yet the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, forbid not to speak in tongues. Forbid not. That was a church leader. The early church fell away from some of these things. They lost it. And there was a, a church leader that came along a couple hundred years later by the name of Tertullian. And Tertullian began to seek the face of God and call on the Lord. And he began to have a following. These people began to seek God. And God began to pour out his spirit. Began to pour out his spirit. And they began to receive the Holy Ghost and begin to speak in other tongues. And it shocked the whole Christian world back then. It was way back there. It did. This is like 300, maybe 300 A.D., something like that. And, uh, and it shocked the whole world because Tertullian uh, stumbled on the apostles' doctrine thinking that it is no longer for us today. And some people will tell you that. It's not for us today. That was for the early church. And it's, that's not true. It's for us today. You know, and so... These missionaries of denominational churches for hundreds of years, and this is all I've read their books and I've, I've read them, studied them. They have uh, they've gone overseas and they've preached to the third world countries and Africa and India and uh, South America and places like that, and people that never had been out of the, their surroundings would receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, and a missionary would stand there and scratch his head and said, "Oh my God." That guy's doing exactly what's in the Bible. But it's not supposed to be today, you know. And then they'd come back, and then they would tell somebody, you know what happened? We had this, and this has happened over and over and over again. But they never quite knew what to do with it. And there's a guy by the name of Charles Parham that had a, started a little Bible school in Topeka, Topeka, Kansas, around the end of the 19th century, in the 1899 or whatever it is. Started with a little Bible school. Uh, and he uh, in an old big old house. Uh, this guy by the name of Stone owned the house, and it was called Stone's Folly because it looked like a big, huge mansion sitting out in the middle of nowhere in Topeka, Kansas. And uh, he, he, nobody wanted it because it was out of place. It's sitting out there in a little small town out west, a small town at that time. And uh, so anyhow, he bought it and started a school. So he had to go away and preach some revivals. He told the young people. He said, the new year's coming up. He said, I want you to pray. And begin to pray. And he said, I want you to read Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Ghost fell. And they begin to speak in other tongues. Read that and ask God, is it for us today? Ask God, is it for us today? And so he went away. So when he was gone, these students, they didn't know anything. They didn't know theology. They began to pray and seek God and call on the Lord. And lo and behold, one of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, began to speak in tongues. And then another one, and then another one, and then another one. By the time he got back, eight of those young people had received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues and everything. And then he began to really encourage them to seek the Lord. And they had a revival that got started that was the beginning of the 20th century Pentecostal revival. They received the Holy Ghost. They began to speak in other tongues. They began to have a new life. God began to heal people. They're, they're, they, they would go into revivals and people would get the Holy Ghost and then people would begin to be healed 
And I'm just telling you, folks, that it is the will of God for this last day, especially in the end time. Praise the Lord. And I want to just say this, and my time's gone, and I'm going to close. But we are on the verge of having a great revival if we'll seek the face of God. I'm, I'm serious. This, this 2016 could be a, a great year for the church. It could be the great year for all the body of Christ. And we, any one of us or any group of us like the church, if we will begin to really seek God and say, God, we want you to pour out your spirit. God, help us to walk right. Help us to talk right. Help us to act right in everything. Do right. And, Lord, we want you more than anything in the world. If we will seek the face of, Lord, of God, folks, it's no, there's no telling what God will do because God is on the throne. We are in the last days, but it's his will. I will pour out my spirit in the last days upon all flesh. Praise the Lord. And it's God's will, all, all flesh meeting anyone and everybody, doesn't matter what nationality or background they have or who they are or whatever. And God wants to fill with the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. He wants to save people that you may look at today and think, I don't know if they could ever be saved. Oh, yeah, God can save them. Hallelujah. He did you. He did me. Praise God. And he can save anyone. Let's stand together and praise God and worship him and let's thank him. We're talking about the apostles' doctrine here. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful, wonderful truth. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you, God, for thy salvation. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in the house of God. Bless us all, each and every one. Touch our lives with your glory, your power, your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Remain standing as our singers come to sing you this.